0: It's Q&A for this week. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, if you are not already, become a member of patreon.com slash jesse uh, That's where I post all the goodies and all the secrets now that Stazapod is live and free to the public on every platform. And, uh, you know, as long as I can, I will hold off from doing live reads and having ads and preambles and stuff like that. Um, Inevitably, the gears turn and they demand profit. So we'll see if I can hold out indefinitely. It's uh, it's a little bit like uh, being tortured in Siberia, I imagine. In any case, we're going to hop into today's questions. Really fantastic questions this week, guys. Thank you very much. Um, Very thoughtful and thought-provoking. So we're going to start with Gabriel Tovar, how differently would things be if Knights of the Slice didn't use the GLIOS system? Do you think it would have lasted as long as it has right now? Uh, This is a fantastic question, and honestly, the addition of GLIOS and the selection of Matt Dowdy's factory was a very late-stage decision. The Kickstarter campaign launched without uh, any of that being confirmed, And, and honestly, it came down to one of two paths. I am uh, endlessly happy that that decision was made and that I did go the GLIOS route. And I do think that we're here today because of utilizing the GLIOS system. Uh, that's not to say I wouldn't be still making toys. I absolutely would. But I probably uh, would have launched Knights of the Slice. And for those that remember, the first series was not a success. I actually lost money, lost quite a bit of money on it. So, likely, I would have launched the first series of toys. They probably would have had just a uh, kind of reaction-style articulation, plus uh, shins and uh, forearms. Uh, it would have been deemed not successful. I would have lost a couple grand. And I, I would have ended Knights of the Slice there, because at that time, uh, it didn't mean anything to me, and there was not a huge backstory built up. Um... So, I probably just would have pivoted. would have taken me about a year to kind of build up more excess money in which to pursue another toy project. And then I probably would have experimented in a vinyl project. I definitely would have had the ultimate goal of getting to Rexcan and The Indestructible Man, and Vaughn, and exploring those stories. I also would have gotten to Cray and Hob at a certain point. But uh, they would not have been integrated per se within the same toy line. So I think that that's a, you know, a, uh, a possible alternate reality that would have happened. Knights of the Slice would have come and gone. I would not have sort of uh, produced any stories under that banner. But a lot of the ingredients and a lot of the characters that we experience today through Knights of the Slice would have definitely been explored through other methods and uh, obviously my output would not have been the same i probably would have done one toy project a year and it would have been pretty limited in its scope um so uh i'm definitely glad that this is the reality i live in i'll tell you that much next up adam crone I was looking at my old all-in box with the graveyard sticker on it where the Rift Killers are attacking. I remember all the top-secret hype leading up to the reveal of the Rift Killer and the teases in how the Rift Killer silhouettes were blocked out until release. I miss those days. Any plans for handling a brand-new character-slash-design-slash-sculpt similarly building the hype? Also, will we ever get a physical release of The Diver? Adam, that's two questions. Um, so, I will say that there is top secret hype leading up to the reveal of a new design character sculpt, I would just say you've missed it. Uh, It is out there. I still leave breadcrumbs. Uh, The challenge of today is that there are several different new things. Sorry, had to pause briefly as a military Chinook just flew overhead. Um, Anyway, getting back to my point, uh, the challenge today is that there are several new things, surprises, characters being teased out. And because there are now multiple things to consume concerning Knights of the Slice, whether it be this Distazepod podcast, uh, snippets on the story so far, postcard comics, or prose posted on Patreon, uh, it can be very easy to miss these hints. But uh, I am broadcasting all of my moves ahead of time. You guys just may not uh, pick up on every single one of them. But they're out there. The The path is laid out in front of you guys. You simply have to stitch it together. Regarding Diver, this is a, a question I get all the time. I think this is the next move people would like to see me make. Uh, I will have a final decision for Toy Pizza Con on July 13th. So tune into that live stream and I will weigh in on Diver and his fate. Moving along to our good friend Michael Coppola, with the anticipation of Sen 5, I was wondering if we would ever possibly see a doll sculpted... uh, This is Sen 5's little companion, for those new to the pod. uh, ...in a standing position, or any others to go with Sen. I think that at least a standing one would look cool next to Sen and gives another display option. So this was a, a big point of consternation in the development of Sen 5. And there were... There's some really great Matt Dowdy artwork of a standing, articulated Sen, uh, a doll's figure. Um, there were some discussion about possibly putting a ball joint in the doll's head, making the arms articulated, X, Y, and Z. And at the end of the day, I had to sort of choose between getting Sen into production or spending more time to modify and make more complex what is essentially a companion accessory. And ultimately, I decided not to spend more time developing Sen 5 so that I can get him to the market sooner. Um, I hope when you guys get this in hand, that feels like the right decision. Uh, Sen is, uh, sorry, the dolls is also a particular nod to a very specific type of eraser figures, um, some that I had when I was a kid. There's a lot of different variations of this, but essentially they're like uh, motorcycle, little motorcycle keshi, and then there's a little right, uh, you know, sort of driver for that that plugs on top of the uh, motorcycle. Some of them had holes where you could put them on top of a pencil, some of them were just sort of gashapon or vending machine toys. And uh, they even made like common rider versions of these little keshi guys. So. Uh, For me, I wanted to keep the dolls stationary, and I wanted them to look and feel exactly like those motorcycle Keshi riders. And um, I really love how it looks. I I know that he's somewhat limited being pre-posed, but um, when you see the extra bells and whistles that were put into Send 5 and his accessories, you're going to understand that trade-off was 100% worth it. With regards to, will we ever see a different positioned Dolls figure, um, my preference would be to do another little figure that's brand new rather than repeat the same character in that tiny form. So I think if I had to choose between, you know, having another smaller scale companion or just reduxing... um, you know the doll's figure i think i would choose to introduce something new daniel hartzler with distazapod now available to the general public what is the policy going forward regarding information disseminated herein is it now a source that can be used to add information to the wiki uh, this is a fantastic question not one i had thought about previously but i would say uh yeah now that distazapod is open to the public you can feel free to take that information and update the wiki Uh, What is likely going to happen is if there is top secret information I don't want out in the public, I probably won't put it on Distazapod. It'll be a formal sort of text or image post on Patreon that is uh, just limited to patrons. And uh, I'll be sure to clearly mark any stuff like that so that people don't go and share and disseminate uh, information. I'm not quite ready to be out there. So... Um I'll probably have to edit myself a little bit as to not uh give away special information on the pod so I would say pay closer attention to individual Patreon posts to get uh you know that hardcore information. Moving along to Retro Zone Neon. Uh do I plan on doing more behind the scenes videos like the recent shop tour video? I uh he really enjoys seeing how the sausage is made, so to speak. Also, he's seriously jealous of my property. Thank you. Uh, there are a lot of landmines, uh, CCTV cameras, and uh, other stealth traps surrounding this property. That's the way I like it. Um, are there going to be more behind-the-scenes videos? Yeah, Yes, but with limitations. Uh, we were able to film that because Nikki was here, and... Uh, we have filmed so many videos together there is a unspoken language when we're working together you know he knows exactly he can anticipate my maneuvers and where I'm gonna go and how I'm gonna address the camera and there is a, a sort of syncopated dance that we can do together you know by virtue of having done over i got I don't know 200 videos on YouTube over the course of you know 7 or 8 years um, So I I think my preference is to do stuff like that when Nikki is here and we can make it a collaborative effort. Uh, My time is very limited throughout the week in that I'm usually either prepping a sale or fulfilling a sale, so I don't always have a ton of time to contribute video-wise in the manner in which I'd like. There's also a question of what is behind the scenes... uh, you know, now that I'm not able to get to China and show the factory and the assembly line and things like that, there's very little, I think, interesting stuff going on here other than kind of getting paint samples and reviewing them and, and stuff like that. And when it comes to that, I can't really share the review of paint samples because it spoils upcoming releases and, and, and you know, things like that. Uh, I, I think I've mentioned this before, but when I get a big box of paint samples. I actually record just a very simple video on my MacBook, um, and I wait until all of the styles of that character have been released, and then I share that video. Um, problem being that sometimes characters can go up to two years before they're released, and so I can't share these uh, sort of behind the scene quick looks and imp- first impressions, until every single style of that character has been released. I am sitting on a Cyber Mama one that there is still one style to, uh, to be released all these years later. Crazy to think about. Um, so I think, uh, you know, at a certain point, you guys will have access to those. I, I know I've posted one before. Um, maybe it was for Hyper Knight or something like that. I don't know. But uh, it's there on Patreon. You can go back and check it out. And uh, I think that that's probably going to be the best opportunity, that sort of uh, minimal viable pro- uh, product, as they say. Moving along to Gordon McKinnon Hall, not to sound overly dramatic, but do I think struggle is necessary to produce good art? I often feel most artistically productive when I'm under a lot of stress from my day job and using art to cope. Um, yeah, I do. I do. I think actually... It's not necessarily struggle, but it is uh, friction. I think friction makes for very good art. And having been a struggling artist for most of my life, having been uh, in a you know a much lower tax bracket for most of my life, having struggled with uh, poverty and home insecurity and things like that, uh, I can tell you. I personally produce better art now that things are relatively comfortable for me in my life and I have more time and more space to dedicate to art. But my ability to produce art now under comparatively comfortable uh, settings is only because I produced art under very very uncomfortable settings and uh, I'm guessing you know you might have had a similar situation where me doing art, me sketching in my sketchbook, was the only solace I had in my life. Uh, I remember being a waiter and sitting in the side stand with my notebook that I would write people people's orders on, and just quickly like jotting down a Veritech fighter or some you know Macross fan art. And in those moments, that was the only piece I found in my life. And it was in the setting of very chaotic, very cramped. Uh, you know, a a life where I I had very little control over my destiny or, um, you know, the powers that be. If anyone here listens or watches Cartoon is Kayfabe, it's a really fantastic show, and uh, I followed Jim Rugg uh, on Patreon, and he does Q&As all the time, and uh, somebody asked him, how can I be a comic artist if I'm raising a family? And... Jim Rugg's idea is, you know, he talks about all the time that uh, even if you're working, you get at least a 30 hour lunch break. So, what Jim would do is, aside from raising a family and working a full time job, he would get 30 minutes every day. He would pack a light lunch that took five minutes to eat, and then he would spend 25 minutes doing comics. And he did that every day religiously. Now, I don't like those conditions. I don't think those are particularly fair conditions for human beings. I don't think it brings out the best in us. I don't think we should, you know, feel so uh, squished by machinery that that's the only uh, time we get to explore our minds and ourselves. But I'm taking the conditions of the world as, as they are. And I think that there's something to glean from what Jim did, you know. Even if it's just that 25 minutes, uh, you can still do it. You can sort of throw yourself into it. Another point I like to make about, you know, struggle making good art or friction, as I like to call it, is uh, the Star Wars trilogy. Um, And now we can see three different stages in the life of Star Wars films, right? We have the original Lucas era, we have the prequel era, and then we have the Disney era. And... What you see is, I I still think, largely people would agree, the best films are the original trilogy. I would argue that it's really Empire and Return of the Jedi. I know that's a very unpopular opinion, but um, we can see Lucas as a young filmmaker with everything stacked against him, and him being surrounded by powerful creative types whether it's John Dykstra or Phil Tippett or you know any of the people that helped bring the vision to life and the people that challenged him quite frankly the collaborators that pushed back then we look at the era where Lucas is probably a billionaire if not a multimillionaire, and he can do and write and make whatever films he wants and he's gonna direct them and he's gonna sit in a chair most of the time Uh, I highly recommend the Red Letter Media breakdown of the prequels. I think it's like 14 hours of (laughs) their critique of these three films. But I think it's really, really crucial to understanding any kind of production or any kind of story you want to tell. They've done such an acute job of breaking down the difference there. And then you get to the Disney era, where if Lucas had no financial restraints on his prequel trilogy... There is now no restraints on anything for Disney, right? And not only that, they are a global powerhouse. They can force-feed any product they want into screens across the globe, which is a power that, you know, not even Lucas had during the prequels. Um, They can make this a language everybody has to speak. And we can see the output of that. Some of it's okay most of it's a miss i think i think collectively everybody feels like the newer disney films have fallen short in some way shape or form uh you know obviously there's gradients there some people think they're complete trash some think there's some highlights but largely you had this this global superpower more powerful than many nation states churn out these films how many did they do seven eight And you see that on the flip side of that, it fell short as well. People didn't want to be force-fed. They felt hollow. There was no cohesion, you know, any number of things. And what you see is that like, objectively the best sort of films came from the young, the hungriness, when there was friction, when there were forces closing in on Lucas and his team. It's not when sort of everything is uh, very comfortable couches and, and craft services. So, um, struggle is super important. Friction is super important. And uh, I, I think that the only way you can endure as an artist once you have a modicum of comfort is having gone through that struggle early on and, and remembering that, having that muscle memory. Moving along to Ryan Rusby, I'm curious about time spent on shipping and fulfillment in a home-based operation. I enjoy your walkthrough of the dedicated space. How much time do you spend shipping each drop? How quickly does that time balloon with bigger sales, more product variety, different packaging choices, etc.? This is a fantastic question. Also, I want to acknowledge, maybe it was on a live stream, somebody asked how many packages I can dispatch in a day. Uh, Maybe I missed this in a previous Q&A thread or maybe this was just a live comment, but I think that's a a good one to answer too. so I'll roll that into this. Um, By myself, I'm good for about 125 to 150 packages myself. Now, I'm lucky enough to have part-time help once a week, so the divisional labor is basically that person throws labels on what I've packed up. With that person... We can do about 250 in a single day. And that's kind of working, you know, 7 a.m. till 7 p.m. That's a that's a good, solid stretch. Um, I find that mentally, I'm a little bit better doing about 100 dispatches a day. Um, I just generally like to, you know, have a little bit more uh, free time, and I don't like to kind of do one activity for too long what i have found works the best uh because oftentimes we're not just contemplating store orders there are also uh international packages that have been held for a while there are uh action figure of the month club gifts that are going out there are returns x y and z i find that breaking up the rollout over the course of three or four days is the best for sanity you know to maintain that um that's why the website says please allow 7 business days for your orders to be fulfilled. Uh I'm not trying to compete with Amazon. I uh, I think that you know people's expectations have largely been ruined about that uh especially when it comes to you know kind of small one-man shops. So I, I you know I think generally I turn things around in 3 to 4 days, but I do like having that blanket of uh, 7 days. In terms of how much that, that time-dedicated balloons with bigger sales, um, I would say that's a nominal variable, right? Because there's not a huge difference between doing 150 packages in a single day versus doing 200 in a single day. Um, now, product variety, I think, is a much more uh, meaningful variable when it comes to how many packages you can get done. Let's take, for example, the glow-in-the-dark dyno. That's a bigger box size. Now, luckily, a single dino by itself can still ship first class. A lot of this is predicated on first class shipping versus priority. That's a whole nother thing. I, I'm not going to get into that now. Um, so if I get a dyno order, I got to make a box because it doesn't fit in a ready-made padded envelope. Uh, and so that's a, a bigger concern of time. If somebody orders two dinos, well, that's going to fit in a box that I don't have uh, a quantity of. I'm going to I'm gonna have to go through this big pile of boxes I've saved from shipments and Amazon and, and things like that. So there is a real consideration there uh, for size. I cannot house every single size variable box that Uline uh, has in stock. There's just not enough physical room out there so i have about four box sizes i order in bulk and then i look to reuse boxes from other mail uh, to kind of fill in the gaps there so anytime i can slide something into a bubble envelope that's great it takes you know almost no time whatsoever if i have to construct a box or i got to go digging for the right box size that adds to the timeline and Let's face it, you know, in this scenario, time is money. Every second you spend on a single order is another order that you're not getting to. So there is a real calculation that has to be done in terms of, uh, you know how much individual time are you spending on each package. At the end of your question here, you really get down to the key piece of what I struggle with now, and that's different packaging choices. Um, So, I'm not continuing on next year with Action Figure of the Month Club's current boxes. Uh, They look beautiful. They take so long to put together. And they also have a really high failure rate. That sort of uh, plastic sleeve that slides over it, those break a lot. And it causes a lot of waste. I also don't like that the plastic sleeve is not recyclable. I try as best I can to kind of have, you know... Uh, recyclable materials in everything I do. I I don't do extravagant packaging for that reason. Um, So, you know, while the Action Figure of the Month Club this year looks fantastic, it's pretty wasteful. It takes about 45 seconds at best when I'm doing it to construct one of those packages. Um, It takes other people longer if I'm sort of, you know, having supplemental help. And... It is a really, really inefficient, wasteful uh, sort of way to do Action Figure of the Month Club. Um, Now, I'm all about aesthetics, so I'm going to find a solution for next year that looks great and, you know, maybe is more recyclable and doesn't require so much construction by hand. I don't know if you guys have pulled apart any of those boxes. They are insanely complex, and uh, it took quite a while to be able to make them by hand uh, without any sort of crease lines or any imperfections. Um, so if you're not one to keep those packages, have yourself a fun time and crack one open. Lay it out and look at how insanely complex there are. And then try to rebuild it because it's uh, it's quite a task. Moving along to Mike Johnson, how do I feel about Carolina Cool Cat's Anchor Fist? Uh, so those who don't know, Carolina Cool Cat, a.k.a. Grant, is a resin maker. He is a squire and the squire of the slice in good standing. He's a patron, and uh, he's a very talented young man. He is making a resin character called Anchor Fist, and he has uh, gained permission from both myself and Matt Dowdy to uh, approximate the Goliath's joint in these uh, resin creations. Now, resin and the Goliath's pegs don't really work well together because they are quite fragile, and they're not designed for that but in any case i think grant is absolutely a young artist to watch i think his challenge is only that he needs a couple more years of sculpting and molding and casting to get to the level of say uh david healy you know i think that that's a really good uh person to look to in terms of what is marketable what's a artist that's you know um honed their craft to the appropriate level, and that uh, has sort of monetized it in a way that, you know, allows them to practice more of their art. Um, the only thing I would say is that, uh, Grant, if you're listening, I would consider dropping the Carolina Cool Cat moniker and finding a name that represents you as an artist and your resin products. Because... Um, You want, when somebody lands on your Instagram or goes to a link, you want to reinforce what you're delivering to them. And you're not delivering them a cool cat named Carolina. You are delivering them something cool like Anchor Fist or some cool resin minifigures. So uh, that would be my homework for you. Figure out the branding here. You want it to be something indicative, something evocative. Uh, And, you know, something that better communicates what you're doing here. And I would point to Healy Made. When you you go to, you know, Healy Made on Instagram, you know what you're getting. You know who it is. You know what you're in store for. When you go to Toy Pizza, you know who's making it. You know what the promise is. It's telling you a story. You know what you're going to get. So I would think about that. And really, this is a lesson for everybody who's an aspiring artist who wants to, you know, compete in this gladiatorial games. Uh, You got to have all these things lined up. But uh, I'm a big fan of Carolina Cool Cat. I hope we get to see a lot more work coming from him. I hope there's a lot more crossovers and collaborations. And uh, you guys should all go and uh, follow him. Absolutely. Really, really great questions this week, guys. I'm impressed. Uh, We're going to continue the streak with Jeremy Price. Part of what I have really admired about what you have built with Knights of the Slice is your uh, adaptability. Adaptability. Adaptability is your adaptability. There we go. Woo. I'm not ESL, uh, I assure you. To the environment, whether that be creating narrative around already established figures Or building figures around an ongoing story as well as adapting to product delays differences in your collaborations etc you seem to thrive in this kind of environment how do you embrace the chaos is it just in your nature or did you learn this along the way um i was born in the chaos i was molded by it i didn't see stability until i was already a man and by then it was blinding. Um, This is interesting, and and it's taken a decade of psychotherapy for me to kind of unpack this, but the brief cliff notes are, uh, if you grow up in an unstable environment, in an unstable household, maybe with mentally unstable parents, or whatever your roll of the dice may be, um, you don't understand stability. You don't understand nicety. You don't understand uh, that things uh, don't have to be such a sort of ramshackle mess at, at every turn. Um, so what I'm trying to say is I am very familiar with chaos, and that has completely informed my creative process. Uh, you know, my work areas are a fucking wreck. They're a mess. Somebody could walk into them and, and not be able to discern that anything productive is happening with this you know, uh, this jumble of piles of papers and magazine clippings and things that you would expect to find in, like, a serial killer den or things like that. Um, there's a, you know, the the chaotic element of my personality is very well adapted for manufacturing <laughs> overseas and uh, creating things so quickly with so much output. Um, it's not something for people that kind of need A lot of time or a lot of runway or a lot of assurance in which direction is the right one to go in many ways I've sort of tailored my entire adult life around embracing the good parts of chaos you know chaotic good and um, you know trying to come to grasp with you can have a little stability alongside that and and that's not a bad thing on a bigger picture I think life is absolutely chaotic right you may sort of get everything in place in your life you may get your partner you may get married you may get a house you may upgrade your apartment you might get a car you might get a couch and you think you have these things figured out and they never have to be addressed again uh but uh, i'm sure you would agree with me life is just full of sort of curveballs and pulling the rug out from underneath you and and x y and z so i think that um you know everything that i've been through in my life, and certainly my younger, more formative years, uh, have made me the artist I am today. And that is an artist that is particularly well suited to this attention economy, and to massive disruptions in supply chains, and uh, being able to have a sort of steady output uh, in a system like that. I would say also, uh, it's very difficult to collaborate with me uh, because of these, these sort of uh, confines or constraints of my personality, my psyche. Uh, this is part of the reason why... I mean, this is the reason why J.B. Rowe left doing Turbo Way Toll, uh, Chapter 4. Uh, it's through no fault of his own. It's only through fault of me. Uh, expecting somebody who is a very uh, developed, uh, you know, viable, traditional comic book artist to take my sort of handwritten notes and scratched thumbnails and constant rewriting and expect to sort of uh, produce something uh, of quality, uh, you know, it's a farce. And um, that does make it really hard to sort of find people to help me extrapolate on this idea. I think that the people that have stuck around and, and done the best at collaborating have been the ones that can kind of turn on a dime. You know, a lot of my creation and discovery happens very late in the stage of something coming to market or or being put out in front of people. I change things all the time. I drastically rewrite things all the time. Um, So, you know, I think I have suffered and not been able to have quite such a uh, broader ability to work with people, especially like really established, uh, really mainstream people. Largely because, you know, uh, my creative process is just so rocky and disturbing to most, I'm sure. Moving along to Michael Berger, loving the new Alexander figure. This and rereading the old Night of the Slice trade paperback got me thinking. Alexander, the Greeks, the original Spartan Knights, the origin of pizza, Atlantis, Sub-City, Diver. I am seeing potential interconnectedness here. Am I the only one, or am I onto something, or am I way off base? Any thoughts to share, or is this all TBD? Uh, I would say you're definitely going down the right path, but I don't think I want to sort of comment or explain much more beyond that. But I do think, uh, if anything, Knights of the Slice should be rewarding to people that uh, dive deeper and develop their own theories and try to string these things together. I think that that's really the reward of Knights of the Slice, and something that Hopefully, outlives me in my finite time on this planet. Satomimoto Zone. Lance asks, "Do I listen to the local radio stations in my area?" Uh, not typically. I'm um, usually, if I'm driving, I'm listening to podcasts. But uh, if I do, there's a really good student station out of Vassar that I pick up occasionally when I'm a little further north, and uh, I really like it. It, it. Obviously, a lot of the presenters are sort of amateurish and and just this is their first time ever being on mic. Uh, but they they pick really good music, and I've discovered a lot of new music from there. So uh, I'm sure you can probably listen to it online. But whatever the Vassar College radio is, it's very good. Matthew Connolly, if I were to hold Night, uh, sorry, Toy Pizza Con in another state or city, which would it be, and why? Um, boy, that is a very good question. I I don't know. <laughs> Under my head, I don't know. I guess the one that would make the most financial sense would probably be L.A. Um, in which, I, you know, I have plenty of people that could sort of put me up and also help out with the production of the show. Um, it would be nice, and there was some talk at one point to go to South Florida, where I live for a long time. Uh, potentially, we were going to do something at Tate's Comics, which is, you know, one of my favorite... Um, comic and toy stores in the world, and, and Tate is a, uh, you know, a relatively close acquaintance. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess those would be the two picks. It would sort of have to be somewhere that had a high concentration of Night of the Slice fans. Um, and it would have to sort of, you know, the beauty of the first Toy Pizza Con that we did, just local was we made a ton of money and we didn't have to travel very far and set up and breakdown was very minimal so if i have to go to another state and there's all those other considerations i have to make like triple what i make at a normal toy pizza con just uh, kind of in my nearby town so um i think that's the challenge moving along paul weir any other historic figures beyond alexander in the pipeline was just discussing Mark Anthony as a prototypical Batman due to his gruff alpha male demeanor and that is betrayed, uh, uh, sorry, alpha male demeanor that is betrayed by his simping for a cat girl. That's very good. (laughs) Very good uh, illusion there for sure. Um, Sorry, I have no ability to read today. Not sure what that's going all about. Um... Yes, there are other historical figures referenced, and you guys already met the next one. You met Beowulf, General Beowulf. Um, I don't really want to, like, go that much further beyond, you know, I think it kind of gets too far into cliches, and you guys can guess who the next logical historical figures would be. Um, So I'm kind of slow walking that. I don't know if I will expand beyond Beowulf and Alexander, Uh, but it is something that I've thought a lot about, uh, you know, and I think a lot of writers do and, uh, somebody's texting me right now. I'll tell you, just trying to record the podcast today has been a minefield to, uh, navigate around a lot of deliveries. For some reason, everybody's hauling ass up this street going 90 miles per hour. Dogs going nuts. Chinooks flying in the air. And now uh, we have a couch being steam cleaned all while I'm getting text messages. What I'm trying to say is um, being a podcaster is the most dangerous work you can do. We are the first responders. uh, We are the bravest Americans. And I think it's about time we had a sort of statue erected in our honor. So I'll leave that with you guys. Moving along to Matthew Paquette, how is the progress with the new neck joint for Hackerman? When can we expect its debut? Um, it's slow going, but I have seen test shots of it. I think it works very well. I think it does sort of expand the options for Hackerman in a, a really great way. So I'm excited about that. Uh, I think it will debut before the end of the year, but it's tough for me to pinpoint the um, you know, any earlier than that. So I think by the time 2021 closes, you should have this new neck joint option for Hackerman in your hands, amongst some other items. Thomas Jante wants to know about naps. Uh, I do love a good nap, although I rarely indulge in them. I find that once I wake up from them, uh, I'm just fuzzy for the rest of the day or evening. I, I really can't recover from a nap, Once I take one, however brief it might be. So, um, yeah, I I tend to just kind of power through days. If I'm feeling a little, um, you know, faded in the afternoon, I like to just get up and move around, close my devices, go out to the workshop, throw some boxes around, chop some wood, anything to kind of get the blood going. Moving along to Rusty Ramsey. Uh, are there any more Chican figures currently planned? Uh, yes, in fact, Rack, Robert A. Cross, is working on run one right now. He's doing the paint master for this figure. And uh, once I get it, I will send it to China. And uh, I would expect that to be probably, I would say, end of this year. We could look forward to that Chican. Uh, it will, of course, be sold by Robert himself. Uh, on his eBay page or at the comic conventions that he goes to. Next up from Charles, does the creek by your house run cold? Um, it is It is very cold. Um, I'm not sure if there's a specific colloquialism I'm missing there. But yes, it is a cold creek. It is not particularly warm. Uh, I do not believe um, that... Uh, There's a underwater heating vent or anything like that. So yes, very cold creek, uh, also filled with leeches. So um, it's more of a moat. Next up, John Emmett, if I could pick a movie to give the 90s movie action figure tie-in treatment, what would it be? It wouldn't have to be even appropriate for that sort of thing. Think SNL's hilarious Philadelphia action figure commercial. This is kind of a cheat because it is a 1989 film. I guess we could go with the sequel, which was a 1993 film, Robot Jocks. Rounding the final bend here, Brian Doran. Is there any sort of method or practices you use to help assemble character names? Uh, Fantastic question. I don't believe I've gotten this before. Um, I read a lot of Wikipedia. about history, about, you know, sort of historical people who really existed. Um, And that is a big source of where I come up with names for people. Um, Sometimes they're kind of plays on different words that I come by that I like the sound of or I don't know the meaning of. Um, For example, the Corriger, um, who, you know, uh, is a sort of key figure in early Knights of the Slice mythos. His name came from running across the word uh, or Korygos um, which is sort of the uh, um the, like, uh choir in a ancient uh, Greek theatrical production and I thought that was very cool. Doesn't really necessarily mean anything in, um, you know his sort of name bastardization but uh, it just had such a cool sort of sound and feel to it. I do try to avoid stuff that's a little too tongue-twisty, uh, and I, I try to sort of um, use naming conventions that sound like something or a word we already use and we already know. Uh, Survenger, like, okay, Revenge and Cerulean. Like, pretty easy sort of, uh, you know, mashup up that... Uh, is evocative but kind of makes sense so yeah i guess I, I just go back to sort of real human history and and find sort of interesting words or interesting um root words in other languages also uh, i like learning a lot about uh proto indo-european language which was sort of the connective language of all the peoples prior to uh a great matriculation of everybody into um, you know, sort of areas that would become Germany, France, England, and, and how all those languages spun off. There was at one point a sort of generally common language amongst the humans on the planet. Uh, if you've ever seen Prometheus, uh, what the android is speaking to the engineer is a proto uh, Indo European language. So th- there is like a, uh, despite all the faults of that film, there is a, a very sort of interesting choice in, um, you know, the, the sort of language that is uh, spoken by them. Next up, Eric Valverde. When will the next Sima be released or when will the next translucent figure be released? Uh, fantastic questions. Technically, it's two questions. Um, the next translucent, uh, I wouldn't say figure, the next translucent item Will be available at Toy Pizza Con. And uh, I think, without overstating it, you guys are going to lose your shit over this one. The next Saima figure, um, I would like to do a dedicated month for Saima in Action Figure of the Month Club. Uh, I don't know if or when that would happen, but I think it's fitting that she has a month. I like that she was December of last year. I don't know if we're going to mimic that again this year. But there will be definitely. Um, I think, well, I'd say she has a high probability of being an Action Figure of the Month Club uh, release. And then I also have some Saima adjacent things to release. And that might sound a little mysterious and nebulous, but uh, I think you'll find out why in the very near future. Moving along to patron John Walsh, is there a toy line that you look at and say, that's ridiculous, they made this, but just have to have it? For me, it was the old Police Academy action figures, had a bunch growing up, didn't know why they existed, but really want to get them all back. Uh, I also had the Police Academy figures. Um, You know, the movie was beloved by me. I think it was a pretty profitable film franchise. And there was that Saturday morning cartoon show. So it does kind of make sense that they would make a, uh, a figure line of that. I would say in terms of things that I feel are ridiculous that got made, but bought them anyway, uh, I just did a Patreon post about Horrible Histories, which is a, a book series in the UK, and um, there's some pretty amazing uh, little toy-slash-game line that was created alongside that. Uh, for you'll, you'll have to go read the article to, to see why it's quite ridiculous. Um, I would also say we did a video on Medicine Sans Frontier, which is uh, Doctors Without Borders. They had their own toy line back in the 80s. Um, we were sort of initially perplexed by it on the Toy Pizza channel, but we had some French viewers that chimed in and said that uh, this toy line, actually uh, the, some of the sales from the toys were dedicated to the humanitarian uh, sort of organization. So it uh, initially left us scratching our heads why you would want to sort of depict a starving African child as a toy and sell it to kids. But ultimately, it does kind of have a sort of a very nice, virtuous um, idea behind it. I think that's just about going to do it for us here on uh, this episode of Q&As with the Stazopod. If you're listening in on Spotify or on iTunes, you found us somehow, consider checking out patreon.com slash Um, There's good things there. I'm not going to list them for you. You're just going to have to trust me on this. Also, thank you to everybody who came to the big summer sale, in which patrons got 20% off of their entire cart. That was a a really big special deal. Thank you guys for uh, turning out and spending your money. You helped clear out a ton of space in the workshop, so I'm very excited about that. We got a lot of new product landing momentarily, and I already have the room for it, so that's really good. Let's see, what else? Uh, July going to be super busy all targets are pointed at july 13th when toy pizza con online kicks off likely around 7 p.m and uh there's going to be a cavalcade of exclusives of surprises of reveals of entertainment you are not going to want to miss it and uh if you're a patron i will make some sort of bundle deal available early so you don't have to worry about showing up right when the stream happens You'll be able to uh, secure your bag, as it were. Um, Lots of great stuff to do. You're going to need a lot of money. So start uh, vacuuming out cars and, uh, you know, get paid for the vacuuming and also pocket whatever change you find in there. It's a nice way to boost your earnings. Other than that, I don't have anything else to say. So Pete's out.